So, Monica, this is really it. This is our last episode of Chewing the Fat. It's hard to believe it. I'm getting a little teary, but we're going to make it a great episode. Like always, yeah. And remember, we're still working on our new food and health podcast, Chewing. And because you're always calling me in the middle of the night, all of the information on where to find us is at our new website, chewing.xyz. So you can listen to this final episode and smoothly take the transition over the bridge to the new Chewing Health and Food podcast at chewing.xyz. Still, it's a little sad, I have to say. Is it? No, don't be sad. It's, it's okay. It'll be all right. Well, let's get on with the show. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Chewing the Fat. I'm Louisa Chu, a trained chef and culinary consultant. And I'm Monica Eng, WBEZ reporter, home cook, and food writer. This week on Chewing the Fat, it's the finale. We're going to be talking last meals. And for some people, an ideal last meal would be a pig roast. We're going to be talking to Jack Hitt about how to do your own in the backyard. Plus, for our very last Chewing the Fat, will she eat it? I make Monica something I might want her and my loved ones to enjoy. All this on the finale episode of Chewing the Fat. Louisa, we've had a big nine months since our last official episode, before the not, one before this, of course. <laughs> not not that there's any news, like nine month news that we need to share with our listeners. Well, I mean, we're birthing we, something new in a few weeks, we, but, you we know, are. some things have happened. Stuff has happened. Stuff has happened. It's And it feels like it's been actually a lot longer than that. I mean, in podcast years, I mean, it feels like forever. I mean, but it has probably been about a year since we last released a new episode of Chewing the Fat. And in the meantime, I spent most of last year living in a one-room cabin in Alaska and went to... Nobody to bug? Um, no, there was actually... Oh, <laughs> so that's boy. You'll hear much more about it on our new Food and Health podcast, Chewing Details There. But I also had a chance to go to Champagne during harvest, which was not nearly as just indulgent as it sounds, even though it was. But Sounds pretty indulgent. Yeah, and we've been in touch, you and I, but uh, you like to downplay what was your big project for the last year. Well, I have been filing a lot of news spots and a lot of features, but in between that, I've been trying to do this series, this hard-hitting investigation into the National School Lunch Program because it's being reauthorized this year. It was supposed to be reauthorized last year, which means they make the new rules. And I wanted to kind of show, well, what's really happening? What is it the folks in D.C. do not want you to know? And I'm investigating that. Um, And I'm doing that through a grant from the Berkeley journalism school called the 11th Hour Fellowship, and Michael Pollan runs it. And I went there for a week in June and then a week in December. And they they help you with your audio stories. They help you with your ideas. You meet other people who are doing exciting stuff. It's really a terrific fellowship. Hello, Monica. You have buried that lead. You won a $10,000 Now you're going to tell everybody how much money I have so they come and rob my house? In the news. It is. That's like the big deal. And you never want to mention it. It is a big deal. I'm Chinese. I don't talk about money. I don't flash my cash. It is after the Powerball Boy, Louisa, Disappointment forget that what she had. says. I have nothing. No. I have nothing in my account. It is a big time important fellowship. And 
not only is it like a big deal, and sure you got a little bit of got a little bit of cash on that, but I mean you're telling important stories with really important people. So that was a that was a really big deal, and you never want to mention it. It's weird. Well, we're gonna bring you a little dispatch from that fellowship, one of the most fun parts of it where we went to Michael Pollan's house and had a very special dish that we'll tell you about. But Louisa, this past year brought some real hardships, a real loss for the Chewing the Fat family that maybe you can tell us about. Okay. So just so you all know, I might get a little bit weepy here. And if we do, then we'll have to stop and then come back because um, my partner in Alaska, my dog Kiba, a regular feature on Chewing the Fat, very sadly died. And pretty suddenly, she actually didn't die of old age. She died from a bacterial infection. And we're going to get into some of this in some of our health coverage coming up in um, future episodes of our new podcast, Chewing. But I really appreciated, Monica, that you wanted to dedicate this final episode to Kiba, because that, quite frankly, was a big part of why why it took so long for us to finish these last couple of episodes because after I lost her, I just really couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And um, I will promise you that even though losing her was incredibly sad, and I'm going to get a little weepy here, she left no food bucket list. I will tell you and promise you that. She enjoyed her food and you saw to it that she did. She did. And in Alaska, she saw to it herself too. I mean, in the town that we were living in, she had absolutely no shortage of barbecue and smoked salmon and just about every amazing kind of food. But So even though it was very hard and very sad for me to lose her, I really appreciate that you wanted to dedicate this final episode to her because she lived life the way I think we would all wish we could live life with absolutely no food, no holds barred on any kind of food. food left untried. She was my kind of girl. (laughs) No, she wasn't so crazy about raw carrots, I'll tell you that. Kiba, this is for you. I heard the warden said I had one more day One last meal before they carried me away He said if we don't have it, we'll go out and get it Because you don't have to go until we get back with it So I said, give me two dinosaurs, eggs over easy, fried in the butter and not too greasy, mosquito knees and black-eyed peas, a little small bowl of butter, bebop beans, a zebra tooth, a tag of steak, Monica, recently we've been really talking about how we want to celebrate our last meal. And we've been hearing a lot from friends and family about what they would want for their own last meal or what they might want for their friends and family to have once they're gone. And of all things, it's barbecue. And you had a chance to really have a pretty cool one. Well, a lot of people really love barbecue. And since I'm Puerto Rican and Chinese, 
barbecuing a pig was a natural attraction for me. While I was at this fellowship in Berkeley that Michael Pollan organizes, he invited his journalist friend, Jack Hitt, to be one of the teachers in the fellowship. Okay, so hold on. We know that we're radio and food nerds, but for everyone else who's not as nerdy as we are, who is Jack Hitt? Jack is an author and a journalist, and you may have heard him on This American Life on the episode where he went to a prison production of Hamlet, and he hung out with those guys for several months. The first thing they hand me when I pass through the thick iron doors is a tiny black box called a screamer. Pull the cord attached and a phalanx of armed guards will sweep from all points of the prison and try to rescue me. I keep it in my pocket as I enter a huge yard with more than a thousand... Okay, yes, of course, I remember that. And then he also had that super wacky episode where he talked about his crazy super in his building. These were our first New York apartments. We were there to start our lives. New York was all romance and everything was outsized and outrageous. The buildings in Midtown, our ambition, the nightlife... And as we quickly discovered, our super, Bob. Jack also happens to be a master pig roaster from South Carolina. And I knew we were going to eat roasted pig that was roasted all night in his backyard at a big party. But I said, hey, can I tag along? Can I be the annoying fly on the wall to find out how you actually do this? Wait, and just to clarify, you were invited to the dinner part. That you didn't crash what you crashed was their, like, you know... The bro- prep part. Their bromance bonding time where they were just right. going to, like, quietly sip whiskey all night and you invited yourself along to that part. I said, can I see this part? So this is his Chewing the Fat pig roast episode where I sit in the basement with him drinking whiskey and talking about barbecue. Michael Wait. Pollan even makes a cameo down there, too. Wait, you were drinking... I was having a sip. You know I can't drink. I know. I'm dying to hear this. I have been waiting for this past year to hear it. The Jack Hit Chewing the Fat debut. Every year, Michael and I gather in Berkeley here, and usually in June, and we roast a whole pig. And we figured out about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago that he has this biryani pan uh, in his backyard about 10 inches deep, about three and a half feet wide. And we have a sort of metal frame that serves as the lid. So it's like a giant sort of round pot lid. And then we cover that in tin foil. And then we'll cover that in insulation. We'll create a little flap at the bottom so we can shovel smoldering hickory or maybe olive wood, um, some mildly flavorful wood. And then we'll slow roast this whole pig over 210 degree coals for 24 hours. It's something I learned to do when I was growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, most of Georgia tends to cook their pig this way, which is just uh, smoke it on its back over smoldering coals. We don't flip it. We just cover it and let the sort of like crummy oven architecture do the work for you. It turns out having sort of like the slightly kind of hillbilly country uh, oven. It's turn- like a sweat latch. Yeah, sit over here. Can you tell us who you are? I'm Bernardo Lopez, and I'm a friend of Jack and Michael, and I've been one of the... Uh, Big roasters uh, for the last seven years. 
Right. So roasting a pig means, you know, 24 hours. So you have to do it in shifts and there's a lot of uh, hanging out Camarilla. And, and camaraderie. And so Bernardo and I and Michael and Bernardo's son, Dylan, and Michael's son, Isaac and Judith were kind of the core group of the original pig roasters here in Berkeley. The mechanics of it are kind of interesting. So like, you know, when you cook a pig in your oven or pork shoulder or something or a fry bacon, you know, you're burning the fat in between the muscle tissue. But when you slow roast it, you essentially melt the connective tissue, the interstitial fat, the collagens and everything else. And you're doing that with smoke, 210 degree smoke. So the meat gets suffused with this lovely taste of olive wood or whatever. And it falls apart. So when we say we pick a pig, you literally can just put your fingers in the meat and pull it out. It's like a sweat lash. I mean, right. that, like you said, I mean, it melts into like this cotton ball, you know, like when you, when you take it out of that, it kind of like falls apart on the table. There's something about sitting around a fire cooking a piece of meat that is so primal and so elemental it's like the first meal so it, there's something very attractive mm -hmm. about it like everybody yeah. wants to come to a pig roast mm -hmm. and everybody wants to be part of that action around the fire um, no fire is ever good enough there's always somebody there to tell you that your fire isn't very good <laughs> <laughs> it's usually a guy you know who uh who insists that like you know you really you should do it this way this yeah way. everybody has an opinion and usually especially if you have you know men around a fire there's an a lot of opinions and they're all very different but you know i started researching like mentions of barbecue i found a, a wonderful mention by george washington one of his diaries that about how he had stayed up all night long at a roast i think it's a pig roast at a roast drinking and he couldn't get away he just talks about how he couldn't leave you know it's like you know, maybe the founding of the country was actually delayed by some amount of time <laughs> because, because Washington been a, couldn't miss the pig roast, you know. And then I think it's in the Odyssey, after some battle, Nestor is described as taking a large chunk of cow and putting it on the fire and soaking it in wine and leaving it for a long time. And then the men come and like pull easy pieces out with their spears and eat it. But I think it just gets to the point that like there's certain meals that you eat and you realize you're you're kind of communing with the earliest sort of humans. The part of South Carolina I come from, uh, they make a mustard-based sauce because it was heavily influenced by Germans. Huh. And then north of us, sort of northern South Carolina and all of North Carolina has a vinegar-based sauce, which is just spices and vinegar. And then the other part of South Carolina has a tomato sauce. And, and there's all these arguments about which one of those are better. But the fact is... The sauce doesn't even really matter. What matters is slow roasting pig for 24 hours over a nice fire. I don't know. Kansas City is actually something I'm preferential to. If you go down the eastern seaboard, the sauces tend to be sharp in some way, either like mustard or vinegar, right? And then you get the tomato. But when you get to Texas or Memphis, and remember, Memphis is on the Mississippi, so it's right right within the same latitude as Texas. And then when you get up to Kansas, you get these super sweet red sauces, yeah. right? So it, so the sauce starts on the east coast. It's kind of sharp and vinegary. It gets, and, it gets thin and, and it gets thicker. And, right. And then this is Michael thicker. showing up. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then it gets thicker and then it gets more tomatoey and then sweeter. So by the time you get to Kansas City, you're really, it's this bolt of brown sugar that's in the sauce. And, and like I said, I don't mind sauces, but if your pig is cooked properly, a little bit of vinegar, a little bit of salt, you're kind of, you're there. I agree. I, I think that the, the Kansas City style is really overdone. It's thick and it, also it's very easy to burn whatever you're doing. But 
Um, but it's also about ribs, right? Which is a whole different thing. Right, right. And, and then Texas is more about beef, right? right? So brisket. And sausage. I, I went, right. When I went down there, I was, I was surprised how much of barbecue was sausage there. They're called lynx. Yes, lynx. That's right. <laughs> so, and, you, and you should talk about what you do with the rhymes, with the skin, because that's really fun. Oh, the, uh, the crackling. Yeah. Yeah, crackling is a very Who important part. Who wants to talk part. about uh, I guess I'm happy to talk about Cracklin. Although it was Jack who almost burned down my house. I was going to say, you're it. talking about Cracklin theory, and I will describe how I first cooked Cracklin in your kitchen. Which no, almost put it in a hot oven. Crank it up to 500 degrees. I put it there. Tell them what Cracklin is. Crackling is the blistered skin of the pig. After it's been cooked and the meat's been removed, you have this layer of leather, literally, with a, with a layer of, um, of fat uh, attached to it. And, um, and the goal is to cook it, at a, essentially fry it in its own fat, and get a really high temperature and it will start blistering on a fire. And then at that point, it is as brittle as glass. You let it cool a little bit and you take a cleaver to it and it breaks into these little shards that are like better than bacon. The first, the first year we did this, uh, I was trying to explain to Michael that the, the way I had done crackling was to uh, scrape the skin of all the grease, salt it heavily, and then you, you have to put it in a really hot oven, right, or fire. And the thing was is that, you know, your barbecue fire is 200 degrees. And so to, to crank it up to 500 degrees would take about an hour of wood. So I had said, let's just... Let's just go in the oven. So I put it in the oven, and you know it totally caught on fire. <laughs> and and Michael looked in the oven, and you know there was just like roar, like a like a fireplace fire going in there. And you know he's like all complaining about his house and his homeowner's insurance and all. House schmouse. Yeah, and I said no, it's fine. It's gonna it's <laughs> gonna it's gonna okay. die. It's in the it's in the oven. It's fine. And he he seemed to think that we should really put it out and uh, and cook our crackling elsewhere. Did you take it out? It came out. It was perfect. I suffocated the the flames and it foamed up perfectly and everybody loved it. But then the next year, we built a roaring fire in like the green egg and then put the skin in there and did it that way and it worked out perfectly then too. The foolproof way to do it is to cut it up into little pieces and deep fry it in oil. So like just, chicharrones. Yeah, it's, it is chicharrones. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Well, Jack and Bernardo, thank you so much for talking barbecued pig and everything else. This is great. Off to the pig, Bernardo. Off to the pig. That's right. Let's go see what's happening with the uh, fire. So cut to the next day. The guys have been up for about 24 hours, taking shifts, shoveling all that ashy coal into the biryani pan slash spaceship. Michael and Jack are hunched over the biryani pan using a scraper to try to get that pig off of the grate. There's some juice coming out there. Yeah. Oh, look at that. You hear it? Yeah. Juice is kind of falling out everywhere, and you can hear radio journalist Tina Antolini, who was also on the fellowship, laughing and talking in the background. That stuff is the best stuff. 
If you don't already know her gravy podcast about Southern food, you should really subscribe to it now. You can also hear them razzing me about Kansas City barbecue, which I pretended to like just to be provocative the day before, but they don't really believe me. This is um, a, a, a barbecue sauce. It's, it's just um, apple cider vinegar, pepper, salt, and a little sugar. Oh, Carolina style. Yes, Eastern North no Kansas here, huh? No, no Kansas. No. no, we're against all that yeah. stuff. I was kidding about liking Kansas. No, you weren't either. No. I heard you last night. That did not sound no. like you were getting. Anyway, we take a break now to eat, and then we'll check in with Jack. Jack, almost the entire pig's been eaten. Everyone had a fabulous time. How do you think it turned out? Well, you know, whenever I see a friend of mine who's just had a newborn... I always say, you know, that may be the most beautiful baby anywhere in the world right now. And the great thing about and the great thing about that line is that at, at any one time, it's always true. And so I would say that is the very best pig I have ever cooked. <laughs> so I like I like really soft bread with nice bit of pork, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, barbecue sauce, if that's your thing, and coleslaw. That's your classic pork sandwich. All right. Thanks so much. Great. Louis said that was a lot of fun at that party. There was a lot of meat, but there were also a lot of vegetable sides. I want to be clear about that. But and for pe- sake, apparently. Not at that party. No, that was just wine and beer and stuff. But for those of our listeners who really don't want to hear about dead animals, uh, Jack had talked to me about a protein source that's traditional to his culture that is not about meat. Well, and I just also wanted to point out, too, for this finale episode of Chewing the Fat that there are so many food traditions that are tied to the South here in the U.S., as well as for us, your Asian side, our Chinese side, that have so much to do with traditional foods that really tie us and then also comfort us, that we'll really seek out just about anywhere. And you actually got a chance to have him share another little tidbit. And I found out he may be our secret Chinese brother. In the part of South Carolina I grew up in, we eat boiled peanuts, which is you take peanuts straight out of the ground, green peanuts as they're called, before they dry out and, are become, and they become raw, right? But you can boil them for about 45 minutes in salt water. If they're raw, about three and a half hours in salt water. Uh, very salty water. And you end up with this very salty, soft, kind of weird mm. peanut that to a lot of people is, is unthinkable because it's not crunchy, mm. right? It has a, it's the consistency of like an avocado, right? It's very soft, but but it's just delicious. And so I've, you know, I've eaten them all my life. And, and so whenever I've lived outside the South, which is frequently, I have to go in search of places where you can buy green peanuts, green peanuts. right? And so sometimes I would find them in various sort of ethnic stores. And I, once, I, once I'd found a location, you know, I'd just make a beeline there every, once a week or so and, and, and make them. And about five years ago, I discovered that there's an Asian market, Great Wall. And so I went there and I found green peanuts there one day. And so I just, every week I'd come by and buy them. And I had grown up hearing that like only low country, South Carolina, you know, blacks and whites ate these, right? Mm-hmm. That this was this, 
because it's true like when you drive really far west even in south carolina you just don't see them at, at like gas stations anymore but in that part along the island coast the Gullah traditions of african americans into georgia and up into north carolina you see boiled peanuts right and i think i think it's very much a sort of an african dish originally i have, I have no idea what the origin is uh, the peanut certainly is but but uh the boiled peanut, wherever it came from, I don't know. But I'd, I'd always been taught that it was like just this little crescent of low country, North Carolina, South Carolina, and, and parts of Georgia. And so I'm talking to this young Chinese clerk in the store, and she goes, what is it you do with those? And I said, oh, well, I, you know, where I come from, you know, I'm trying to like explain <laughs> my exotic culture. And I said, you know, we boil them in salt water and eat them. She goes, yeah, that's what we do in China, too. I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Y'all, y'all boil them in salt water and just eat them? Yes, that's what we do. It's like, oh, so it's not just the, the low country South Carolina. It's also 1.7 billion Chinese people also eat them. So, yes, we thought this dish was so rarefied, yes. but it turns out. So you, you, that you were so special. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is your special food. Well, Jack and Bernardo, thank you so much for talking boiled peanuts and everything else. Monica, have you ever had boiled peanuts? Oh, I've got a great story about boiled peanuts. I bought them from the Lee Brothers catalog, Mm -hmm. and they said, would you like to buy a presentation tub with them? I thought, well, of course I want the boiled peanut presentation tub. It was a rubber plastic bucket that said presentation tub on it. And I ended up with this giant bucket of boiled peanuts, which weren't bad. They were kind of interesting, but they were just salty, soggy peanuts. Yeah, I, I've had them before and they're fine. I think that's again, goes back to being really like a nostalgia food, comfort food. And I guess something that we never had a chance to do for chewing the fat, will she eat it? Maybe we'll continue that. Maybe sometime. we'll do the Lee Brothers boiled peanuts. Maybe, cause... but we're not going to spring for that presentation bucket. But yeah, presentation no. tub. I, I saw tub. them at the Beard Awards a few months later, and I busted them. I said, "You made me buy a presentation tub. It was just a darn plastic bucket with a sticker on it." If you would have known, would you have brought it in and asked for a refund? Possibly, Monica. This might be our finale episode of Chewing the Fat. Our last meal, so to speak. But it's far from our last food and health podcast because we're working on our new podcast, Chewing, as we speak. We've got an incredible debut season of Chewing coming up. We're going to have an interview with Neil Young about GMOs. I'll be talking to Vivek Murthy, in case you didn't know. That's the U.S. Surgeon General. I kind of took him to task for not talking much about nutrition. And he called me and he said, Let's talk about this. I am going to talk about nutrition. He kind of obeys me, I think. I don't know. But he thought I was a big deal to talk to, and we're going to bring you that whole interview. Monica's drunk dialing him and giving him what for. and I did not do that for the record. Right. And I'm going to be talking about my time in Alaska, where I not only had a chance to really participate in the food that was eating and drinking, I'm sorry, actually, I was drinking a little bit. But not only that, but um, I was actually almost food 
when I was in Alaska. And so I'll be sharing some more of the details. Right. When you had your encounter with the bear and then the mm-hmm. angry public that didn't like you were taking pictures of the bear. Right. We're going to bring you that the as well. The Internet's almost more dangerous than bear selfies. Right. We're going to bring you that as well as my interview with Dave Matthews about his favorite weeknight recipe. Who? He's a singer, I think, like the biggest touring act in history. I I interviewed him a few months ago. So we're going to have fabulous shows. And if you want to hear them, please go to chewing.xyz. Click that subscribe button so you can be the first kid on your block to get fresh episodes every other week. I like mine a little age sometimes and like just listen to the whole season all at once. Maybe re-listen. Louisa, for our final Will She Eat It segment, I am dying to know what you've got in the red bag. But again, it's only our final Will She Eat It on Chewing the Fat. We're for sure going to be continuing the little game that we like to play, Will She Eat It, on our new podcast, Chewing. This is a segment that has legs. It's going to be going over. We're going to have other new segments like what Chinese people eat when Chinese people go to restaurants. We're going to do delicious combo. It's going to be great. But for now, we're going to have a solemn farewell to the chewing the fat version of Will She Eat It? Right. And sometimes Will She Eat It literally had legs and a whole bunch of other parts. Right. But before we get into this final chewing the fat version of Will She Eat It? I wanted to talk a little bit about some famous last meals and some famous funeral food, actually. You know, it's funny because... Julia Child was the one who kind of got me started on my path to Paris. I actually met her right before I left. She was on book tour for the 40th anniversary edition of Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And this is when she was just moving from her famous house on the East Coast and packing up her kitchen where she shot all those episodes of The French Chef. Wow. And um, moving out to California... And she was talking about the importance of how, you know, you really have to get these things in order. I mean, she was in great health, but she just, I remember her saying something along the lines of, you know, it would be rude just to not get these things in order. And she was one of the first people, I think first famous people I heard talk about so publicly about just getting things packed up and getting her affairs in order at the very end. And Hmm. I think famously legend has it that her last meal was French onion soup that her longtime assistant made for her before she passed away in her sleep. And, I mean, so incredibly peaceful and poetic. And I think that that's sort of the way that we all would love to be able to go out is to have a last meal prepared by someone we love and something we loved and go go out in peace. There was that book by Melanie Dunia that was all about the chefs. She did all these portraits of chefs about their final meal. I think Dan Barber was posing with a boar. He wanted a rack of boar. Lydia Bastianich wanted linguine with clams. I do not like to think about death, so I, I, I'm not even going to share. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to die. I'm just immortal. I eat enough kale, and I never have to die. So we're not going to talk about that with me. But why? See, I find this so funny in that we focus so much on food and if we do eat meat especially, that there has to be a death involved in it, not only in terms of a last meal or a last supper, but that so much of it is involved with finality. And as we were working on this, you know, we really talked so much about how that um, 
This is the only thing that we know that's a certainty about life is death and how we approach it doesn't necessarily have to be only a sad thing that, again, having dedicated this episode to Kiba, who lived her life to the fullest, ate sometimes literally to the fullest. I mean, remembering those times over a last meal together can be an especially happy time. And of course, there's some sadness in the end and in the loss, but um, it doesn't necessarily need to be. I mean, for example, when we went to Charlie Trotter's memorial service when he died in 2013, that ended up being unexpectedly one of the culinary events of the year. I mean, it was amazing because all these famous chefs ended up not only contributing dishes from around Chicago, but some other ones had their meals, had their dishes prepared at the venue. I remember I actually took a secret picture because apparently they didn't want us taking pictures of the food. No pictures, no but audio, but we these, have both. I know, quiet. These little takoyaki Look balls. Look at our Tumblr to find them. These little takoyaki balls that were stuffed with squash and um, fermented miso. And I mean, you couldn't find that sort of thing on a tasting menu, you know, I mean, except for a fancy restaurant. Here was something that was being served and all sorts of like caviar and champagne, of course, that was flowing. And it was so Charlie because it was a beautiful progression of little bites. And I remember sitting next to these ladies who were like just dripping in jewels and they're saying, oh, just leave it to Charlie, you know, I mean, to have one of the most, you know, amazing culinary events of the year. And I mean, that is certainly the way that he wanted to go out and he had plans and that's how that happened. Another chef we've lost over the course of our Chewing the Fat tenure was, of course, Omaru Kantu, whom we, we went and visited and talked to. And there was news in early January that Moto would be sold to the Alinea Group. But if you're listening to this before Valentine's Day 2016, you can still get in a last meal at Moto. Yeah, so our dear chef friend, Omaru Kantu, who died in the past year in 2015, I went to his service as well. And ironically, that ended up being held at the former Charlie Trotter's restaurant. And I was so touched, though, that there were chefs and students that he'd worked with at the Cordon Bleu School who got together and prepared the dishes. And it was it was more of a homey kind of a feeling, more of the comfort food, I think, that we're usually kind of associating with funeral foods. And Honestly, I don't even remember what the food specifically was with that occasion. But yeah, if you have a chance to go, Valentine's Day will be the last service at his first Michelin star restaurant, Moto, which will be which will be gone soon. And one of the restaurants that we also lost, luckily not the person though in this past year, was my dear friend at Burt's Pizza. Bert's Place Pizza. Bert actually ended up having to close for health reasons. And so it makes me very sad that his pizza is gone, but Bert himself is still around. And I'm going to be hopefully working with him to get together and definitely we'll have him on chewing, but to do maybe a, a live demo to so that he can share some of his pizza making secrets. Video with, and audio. Well, Finally, we will share with our listeners the secret to Bert's Pizza. For sure. For sure. Well, you know, so we're definitely going to be working on that. But so for our very final, will she eat it food? I wanted to make for you something that I've 
been lamenting the slow loss of. It's changing. And actually, something that I was thinking I would crave and maybe want as my own last meal, and actually something that I might want my friends and family to have as a meal when I'm gone. So I'm going to just open the box because I've carefully prepared it here. For Louise has been hiding this for more than an hour in a bag. Okay, I see a, a rectangular takeout thing. Ooh. So this is my take on a family dish that we had a chance to see made by one of your family members. And I reread your story recently that she made this for us only about a month or so after she lost her husband. So I'm going to unveil for you my version of Chinese American egg rolls. And actually, kind of specifically, I think they're actually Chinese American Midwestern egg rolls. Mm. I've actually been doing quite a bit of research on my egg roll project for the past few years now. And so your cousin, Fanny Go. Was she your cousin or cousin? She was my grandmother's cousin's wife. So your, what is it? The genealogists out there, you you know what they are. It's just your cousin. There's there's too many little steps to go through. So one of your family cousins made her version of the your grandfather's Chinese American egg rolls. And what's kind of unique about these egg rolls is that they have the old school, almost kind of like the mid-century modern noodle wrapper rather than the really crisp Shanghai egg roll this sort one of wrapper. bubbles and blisters and yeah. turns a nice golden brown. Yes, yes. And then also the sort of secret ingredient is peanut butter. And I think I have finally traced the origin of the peanut butter ingredient. Mm. We'll be sharing that on a future episode of Chewing. But the my Skippy. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Back of the label. But my family also made their version of these egg rolls in their restaurants. And back in the day, the secret ingredient was always that there was chicken skin in these egg rolls and they were fried in lard. And everybody told me, oh, yeah, that's what you have to have in there to make these so good. My version for these egg rolls is that these are vegetarian. No chicken skin and no lard? No chicken What did you skin? use to fry them in? No Please don't lard. say vegetable oil. I hate vegetable oil. Well, Monica. Please say peanut. Well, Monica, I'm going to offer you. Not soy or corn. I'm going to offer you. I've got enough omega-6s in my body. I don't need any more. I am going to offer you for this final chewing the fat version of will she eat it, my vegetarian version of Chinese-American Midwestern egg rolls. And yes, these we're fried in corn oil. Ugh, ugh. Why don't you just give me arsenic now? I'm offering it to you. You don't have to eat you it. You know how easily that stuff oxidizes and goes rancid? Do not use seed oils. But Joe? fine, you know what? I'll just show you how brave I am. I'm going to eat that crap seed oil oxidized junk. So this is going to be Monica. When I'm gone, I guess I won't have to hear this. So give because me lard any day of the week. I, you know, what? actually, I wanted to use peanut oil, but I could not find it. So I used... Isn't it weird how hard it is to yeah, find? I know. Go to a Chinese no. store. And it's pricey, too. But uh, if you don't 
want it, Monica. It's okay. Oh, no, just give it to me. I'm hungry. It's more late. More for me and Joe. That's which is what I got to say. So I'm going to offer again, kindly offer from my very own hands and heart what I might want for my own final meal, my Chinese American Midwestern egg rolls. This test batch happened to be fried in corn oil. To you, Monica, will you eat it? I will, and I'll deal with the inflammation later. <laughs> Let me smell them to make sure they're not rancid. Oh, please. Seed oils go rancid super fast. Read my story. I'll post it to Tumblr. All right, let me give it a smell. Could be fresher. I don't know. When did you fry these? I fried them this morning. But wait, explain why corn oil is considered a seed oil. Okay, corn and soy oils are considered seed oils. They're pretty high in omega-6s, which we in the Western world, especially in the American diet, get way too many of. Many people believe that your ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s should be much more even than they are. But because so much of our processed food depends on soybean and corn oil, we get way too many omega-6s. I had a little discussion with a Harvard public health official about whether or not there's good evidence about the inflammation in omega-6s, I choose to avoid them. Actually, way more than I wanted to hear on that, right. but that'll be... But the other thing no is surprise. these seed oils, they go rancid really easily. A lot of times they're refined, so you can't smell the rancidity. Rancidity is really bad for you. If you ever smell an oil and it smells rancid, toss it out. Cookies that smell rancid, toss them. Bad. And again, I will post my Tribune story about the problem with rancidity. But because I adore Louisa so much... I'm going to eat this. Wait, my question is really, why, how is corn a seed? It's just considered a seed oil. Okay. There you it go. It is. <laughs> I think it technically is a seed. Well, I don't think it's we'll, a we'll have to get into that in a further right. episode, future episode. Mmm. A little crunchy. It's very nice. So what do we have in here? So what we have in there, actually, and I'm going to, let's pass this over the control board to Joe as well. And I'm going to hand you a napkin so we don't drop any seed oil or crumb, crunchy crumbs into the board. So what we have in my version of these egg rolls are roasted cabbage, cabbage roasted in coconut oil. Huh. Um, Joe's taking his first bite, not on Mike, because that's like probably... You could have fried people. these in that coconut oil, but it's expensive. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. <laughs> so... Let me just, as you're both chowing down on them. Wow. I, I like rancid, rancid <laughs> egg rolls. This is great. There's, there's no rancid egg rolls in my house. You keep right. saying it goes rancid really quickly. How long is quickly? First of all, don't store it on your counter. Light and heat and air will speed up the rancidity process. So if you're going to buy vegetable oil, keep it in your fridge. <clears throat> Sorry. Keep it in your fridge. Keep it dark. Most people say, I talk to experts. So no olive oil? Olive is different. There's a different okay, compound. seed oil. Right. But you don't want to fry in olive oil, and you especially don't want to fry these egg rolls in olive oil. it's got a low smoking point. Relative. And it'll impart, and it's, ex, number one, it's expensive. Number two, it'll it's just not. Flavor. And we'll get into more of the details of oil in We're going to have an episode. oil episode. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So don't keep your vegetable oils more than, let's say, three months and store them so that they're not exposed to heat, light, and air. Most people, like I used to, just keep them on their counter. Oh, no problem. That's a problem. Well, 
some of your kitchen habits might be problems that yeah. may be exacerbating uh, the beliefs of. In any case, what's in these egg rolls? Number one, cabbage. Cabbage being like the big filler. Mine are coconut oil roasted cabbage. Hmm. Because one of the big problems with making these egg rolls, I've heard over and over again, was squeezing out the moisture. It's a huge pain in the butt. You've got to blanch all of your napa or your cabbage and then squeeze it. My dad said that they used to put it in tablecloths at the House of Ang. And one waiter would go on the other side, the other one would go on the other, and they'd turn it like a tourniquet. Right. And I used to hear the same thing from my cousins who had Chinatown Cafe here in Chicago, that they had created this industrial press. And I'm thinking, hello, how about if we don't introduce the moisture to begin with? Or and just not- put it in your washing machine and put it on like the wrench and spin cycle. No. Um, If you roast it, especially in coconut oil, and not only do I just start out with a high heat and then roast it and then actually let it sit out in the heat of the oven, but not only do you get that nice caramelized roasted flavor, it brings it out, plus it dries it down. Number one, you solve the problem of the moisture, plus you add flavor. Number two, then I have in there Chinese barbecue carrots. Oh, so it's like a chasu carrot. Exactly, a chasu carrot. Because another one of the secret or one of the common ingredients is the Chinese barbecue pork. What I wanted to do was to have the same sort of flavor of the chasu or the Chinese barbecue, but instead roast it into the carrot. So I marinated it and then I roasted it down. And you marinated I, in a chasu sauce. I did my From own. The store? You made your own. Of course I made my own. So with like, you know, with pretty simple ingredients. And again, this is sort of a continuing process. But um, and I left the peel and the ends on. I did not trim the carrots at all so that you have the nice flavor and the texture on there. And I just broke it up. And then um, and of course, there's no waste because we're going to be dealing with a lot of food waste issues and reducing that food waste. Forget about peeling the carrots. It's and a whole carrot out. that you marinated. It's a I whole carrot. just read that book by Joe Robinson, Eating on the Wild Side. And they said, cook your carrots whole and you keep many more phytonutrients. I didn't even know that. You didn't probably know that. You just did it. I just did it. And then also I added in there a little freshness with just the green parts of the green onions, the scallions at the very end. So everything that's in More there. More phytonutrients right there. The, Those things are the, packed with phytonutrients. Of course, exactly what I was thinking, right, Joe? We're always thinking phytonutrients. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, but um, Are phytonutrients just delicious? Is that what they are? Yes. They're <laughs> Good, that, for, good for the this tongue. This is the good best will she ever. <laughs> Thank you. I have to admit, I when I heard vegetarian egg roll, I was not thinking this is going to be so great. Mm-hmm. But you got something here, lady. Mm-hmm. I, I might I, copy a few yeah, of these well, things off you. Plus, the other, like we said, secret ingredient was the peanut butter. And rather than using the peanut butter the most of the restaurants you use, which was probably like you're saying, like the regular Skippy peanut butter, which I think Fanny, your cousin Fanny used, which when you look at the label, there's like, I don't know what they were putting in the peanut butter back in the day, but I did not want the added sugar and hydrogenated oils, et cetera, et cetera. So I just got a uh, jar of organic peanut butter from Aldi that the only ingredients were basically peanuts and some salt, I think, and not very much. And that was pretty much it. And um, 
nicely seasoned with just a little bit of kosher salt and uh, fresh ground black pepper. And that's pretty much it. Aldi, if you want to sponsor our new podcast, it's called Chewing. That's <laughs> chewing.xyz. We will continue to mention you. <laughs> we will. It sounds like we're promoting Aldi, but the right. fact is we shop there. Yeah, we'll call out some of the stuff we don't like, but uh, mm. yeah. But what's What's spicy in here? What's spicy in there? Hmm. It tastes a little bite. Do you have, do you have any five spice in here or oh, cayenne? A little bit of cinnamon and black pepper, but huh. it's primarily the black pepper. And I because from my taste memory, again, talking about like final meals and those sort of comfort foods, the one food that I haven't been able to find out there, you can get all sorts of fancy foods, all sorts of ramen, all sorts of whatever these days. I cannot find a good quality Chinese American style restaurant that's making egg rolls that I want. So I figured by this point, I'm like, I have to make it myself. I just had to make it myself. Well, Louisa, I didn't want to think about what my final meal would be, but I hate, I will begrudgingly say, your vegetarian egg rolls may just be what I want to eat for my final meal. So when... When that day comes, you better come back. And if not, share the recipe on Tumblr. We're putting the share. We're putting the recipe up. We for sure will share the recipe finally on our website at chewing.xyz, which is a Tumblr page actually. So I will share the details, as I have so far, of my egg roll project on our website at chewing.xyz. And one of the things I wanted to mention too with these is that while these are vegetarian only because the wrappers have egg in these wrappers. They're not vegan. I will actually be working on a vegan version of my dad's side of the family's Shanghai-style egg rolls because you may know this or maybe you forgot because I've told you lots of things and you forget, Monica, is that um, for the most part now, I'm vegan. Yeah, we'll explore that as we move into chewing, chewing it. So for our last chewing the fat, will she eat it? It was my Chinese-American Midwestern vegetarian egg roll. And Monica, you you ate it. All right, it's already gone. Next time, fry it in peanut oil, coconut, and I'll be even happier. Oh, yeah, you bring the tub of coconut oil. Oh, I will. Fat is a production of WBEZ Chicago. Our production team is led by Joe Dassault. This is the very last episode of Chewing the Fat, but we're starting a brand new podcast called Chewing. You can find all of our contact information for our new food and health podcast, Chewing at Chewing.xyz, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, Tumblr, SoundCloud, and subscribe at Chewing.xyz. Thanks for listening to Chewing the Fat. We've had such a great time doing it. And see you, Joe So, Bye, guys. Well, we're going to keep on doing it, and Joe can come and visit us at mm-hmm. our new food and health podcast, Chewing. Look for us at chewing.xyz. I'm Louisa Chu. And I'm Monica Eng. And until next time, just keep chewing. Chewing.xyz. In case you didn't hear it the previous 30 times. Don't tell me you